start at the beginning. We've been keeping it pretty simple and we're gonna to continue to keep it simple because we're all simple. I found out the other day that the more I know, the less I know. You know, some things that you don't know don't bother you, but some things that you know bother you, but you're not supposed to know them in the first place if that makes any sense. The Bible teaches us that in the last days, knowledge will be increased. People, and we live in a time of a great increase of knowledge, but at the same time, knowledge is good if it's shared and if it's under the anointing. Instead of knowledge, it's better to have wisdom because God gives wisdom. The whole book of Proverbs is about wisdom and wisdom and how that's the most important thing. Get wisdom. And man is always searching for ways to explain things. And that brings us back to where we are. First Corinthians chapter two, verse two. You can read it with me, Paul. For I determine not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's read it again. For I determine not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Crucified. John, go to the book of John 3. So that's where we start. We have to determine our major, every man's given a measure of faith, every man and woman. We have to determine how much we're going to draw on that, how much we're going to use that. Okay? I determine. I determine. If you're in here today and you're basing your salvation on what someone else said to you or told you or expects of you, I'm glad Jesus Christ is my Savior today because he doesn't expect any other thing. He loves me, and that's where I have to start. Once I realize that, then maybe he expects things from me, but he just loves us so much. Look what it says. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Let's read that again. Well, let's read this. For God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. So right now for just a second, let's celebrate everlasting life because that's what we have today in here. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what we're talking about is everlasting life. And the only requirement is is that those that believe in him will not perish, but they'll have everlasting life. Next verse, please, Olivia. Thank you. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Might be saved. What the world needs now is a good savior, a good move of the Holy Spirit that points toward the savior, not to men or individuals, I believe the last time revival is going to be one where it's not going to be focused on man. It's going to be focused on what the spirit wants and what God wants, because that's, you know, the disciples when they, when Paul and Peter and all them, their main point was not what they accomplished, but what God had accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's what they wanted to get across that and nothing more. That was the main gist. Paul said, I may know him, know who, who is it we're talking about here? That I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That's pretty basic and pretty simple. Well, scientists have been at it again this week. Well, for years, they've been trying to figure out what happened to dinosaurs. Yeah. And here's the, a new theory that they came up with that I read about this week. <clears throat> How simple is that? Is that pretty simple? That's about as simple as you can get. All right. Well, if, if God made it simple, then if he was there at the beginning, he'll be there at the end. So we need to keep it simple so that we can get through this. Because there's many things that confound people. Well, they're always finding a skull and they're always find, trying to figure out where the dinosaurs are. I read the dinosaurs and Neanderthals all got blotted out at the same time. That's what they're trying to explain. And what happened was, is they said, the poles reversed. The North Pole and the South Pole reversed. And it was not a very fun time to be on the earth. But one scientist said this happened about 14,000 years ago. Okay. But another one came right behind him and said, no, this happened 780,000 years ago. So their whole premise to start with doesn't hold water because they can't even agree on when all this happened. Can you imagine being on the earth if that's what happened and the poles flipped? Why, you guys would be going in every different direction. There'd be nothing to base anything on. This is what man believes in his search for knowledge. He always wants to believe something. You know, I've had people say, well, how can you believe in this? How can you believe in that? My belief makes a lot more sense than what they want you to believe. A pole, look out, because today the poles might reverse on us. I guess that means everybody in Kentucky will end up in Florida. And everybody in Ohio will end up in Alaska. How's that? <laughs> okay, simple. What I believe is a lot easier to believe than what they're trying to get me to believe. And the smarter they get, the dumber they get. Because they want to base what they know because they, on, on accidents, on explosions, on this and on that, and they want to neglect the word of God. One thing to remember about the disciples, about Paul and the rest of them, they were attacking or they were a threat against the current culture. So when they started spreading the gospel, it was a, the Greeks and the Romans were the cultural centers of everything. We still have Gothic. We have uh, Greek construction uh, stoas and things. I don't know how to say it. A stoa is like a column. Uh, and then you had the Romans. It's a symbol of power. So when they started preaching Jesus, it was, it was something that was threatening their cultures. 
So that's why there was such a violent reaction because a whole culture was being. But now we find a reversal taking place. In our days, this country was founded on Christian principles. You can't deny that. All you got to do is read some of the writings of the fathers. And I don't care if they were deists or this or that or whatever you wanted to call them. They had a firm belief in the word of God. That's what, that's what their starting point was. That's why they're here. That's why we're here, religious freedom and, and, and a focus on the things of God. But what is happening in the last days, which we're in, is we're not attacking the culture. The culture is attacking what we believe. So there's been a change in things. And man wants to exert his superiority above the word of God. Forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled. Where? Settled in heaven. Where are we going? Heaven. Is that settled? How's it settled? That whosoever, that the world through him, he didn't come to condemn, but he came. You know, all this stuff about questioning the word of God happened in the late 1800s and early 1900s when Darwinism and everything else came through, the origin of the species and all that kind of stuff. It's all man-made knowledge. If you notice, when something contradicts their knowledge, they'll make you feel like, but I believe in the Christian culture. I believe that God is going to rescue the Christian culture here in this, in this country and in the world. But it's going to take people putting God's word higher than the, than the word that supposedly smart men know. Olivia, if you would go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and we'll go to verse 30 and 31. <clears throat> it's awful quiet in here all of a sudden. Something very important here. Okay. Well, let's go back a little bit, Olivia. Thank you. You know, Thomas had a problem in believing because he wasn't there when God showed up. How many of you want God to show up in a big way that just takes our breath away? I mean, we have certain expectations in our worship services and things. This is the way it should go. And, and sometimes you can fall into different patterns or something. But I believe every now and then it's good for us to shake things up also. So Thomas wasn't there, so he said, unless I could put my, uh, well, let's just read it. Thomas, one of the 12, in verse 24, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. That's why we want to have advance in things that, because it takes people out of the ordinary and puts them in an extraordinary situation that maybe they're not used to. Sometimes that's good for us. How many of you know that? That's the purpose of mission trips and things like that, is it takes you out of a rote 
or a way of doing things and puts you in a situation where you got to depend totally on the people that are hosting you. There's language barriers and all kinds of things that go on. But guess what? God doesn't care what language you speak as long as you glorify Christo Jesus. If you have a recognition of who God is and what he did, or who the Lord is and who, what he done, then we need to show up or sometimes do things outside our comfort area. In verse 25, the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Let that sink in. And after eight days, again, his disciples were gathered together, were within. And Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus. This speaks to me of the love of Christ and how maybe if we miss something sometimes, he always comes back around to try to get us out of our lethargy and to get us out of the things that we think can overcome us. But we're told by the word of God that we're more than conquerors, we're overcomers. It's been a depressing week. I had to shovel four times. I'm old, I don't like doing that anymore. But I found out young people don't like doing it anymore either. And they haven't even really had a good shot at it. Things are hard sometimes. But that's why our culture points to the word of God. And no matter how much the world wants to fight against our culture, the truth is still the truth. And it doesn't change. Well, and Thomas, and then Jesus comes. And the doors were shut, and he stood right in the middle of them. Salvation happens to people that have their doors shut. If you want him better, see, I got saved out of drugs and alcohol. I got saved out of that. I mean, if you let it, that can become your whole life. And some of you might know what I'm talking about. But you've repented of it, and God... So, you know, everything was shut up, and I, I knew that I needed something. So in my life, I needed Jesus to just show up because I was shut off from everything that was doing me any good, and the door was thrown open to everything that was doing me bad. So Thomas said, well, I don't believe until I do this. Let me tell you. God always delivers through Jesus Christ, his son, his promises. He will deliver on his promises. Thomas said, hey, and the rest of the guys are looking at him like, hey, you know what? He said, unless he does this, then I won't believe. But he believed enough to be there. He believed enough to be there. You know, sometimes a big part of praise and worship and how we feel it's just showing up, making ourselves available to God. Okay, and he stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Go ahead. Then said to him, Thomas, come here. What's that you asked for? 
Thomas, you talk about being on the spot. We give altar calls, and some people come, some people don't. Boy, that was a special altar call for Thomas right there. And he had to get over his embarrassment or anything else. Can you imagine in our society, yeah, Thomas, look at him. Yeah, yeah. He denied the Lord. That's heap coals, hot coals on his head. He's not worthy to be around us. But you know what? The most important thing was not what they thought or what Thomas did. It was Thomas making that connection again with his Savior. That's all that matters. You can be backslidden today. You can have sin in your life. I can have sin in my life. But we can always reestablish that connection with the one who loved us and gave himself. And all we have to do is turn to him. He will do what we ask him to do as long as it's in his will. Thomas said, unless I see this, he said, okay, here we go. Look what he said. Thomas, come here. Reach hither. That's a great word. Reach hither thy finger. <laughs> that could be a whole sermon right there. Them, them British, they sure know how to do that stuff, don't they? Reach hither thine finger. And behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand. And thrust it into my side. Just not dilly-dally around it. This is real. Thrust it into my side. This is how much I love you. The mark is still there. You're written on my hands. Thrust it into my side. Just as that spear was thrust into his side, the magnificence of God was revealed. And he said, oh, they struck me with a spear. And you might not have the belief that you need right now. But where they struck me, Thrust your hand in there, hither thy hand. And this is my proof that it's me, that I'm the one. They tried to kill me with a spear, but I come alive and I got the marks to prove it. That's, you know, that's why the Greeks, there's so many mentions of the Greeks in the Bible and the Romans. You know what the cross did? He used the, the most horrible punishment. Our Savior used the most horrible punishment known to man, which was Roman crucifixion. Think about that. He used crucifixion for our salvation. So what did he tell Thomas? He said, don't be faithless, but believing. I don't think at that point that Thomas felt any shame. And Thomas said this, next verse. He said unto him, my Lord and my God. If we're having trouble with belief or unbelief in this room today, you know what our reply should be if we have our doubts? Lord, I don't understand. My knowledge doesn't take me that far. There's mysteries that I need to leave into your hands. But when I see you revealed, I have one word, four words to say, my Lord and my God. That's what needs to be accepted. That's what builds our faith. You know, some people are always questioning God why he's doing this and why. 
We ought to be thankful for the things that he's not doing. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, look, let's go on. Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Because you've seen me. But blessed are they that have not seen you. And yet they have believed. You're blessed today. We've seen him in the spirit. We haven't seen him physically. But we're blessed because we believe. In other words, he's saying, look, you've seen me. You've seen me. But I'm saying, listen, guys, because he was going to send them out for long. They were going to get filled with the Holy Ghost. They were going to go all over. the History says that Thomas might have been martyred in India. That's a long walk from where they were. But he said, I've seen the Lord. I've really seen him this time. Now my faith is confirmed. So if you're going through something today and you don't understand it, he will confirm what you believe in. If he tells you to go and do something, he'll confirm it with signs and wonders following. That's what he does. He answers the cry of a heart. And he said, <coughs> excuse me, he said, and they have not seen, yet they believe. Go on. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. John's gospel is like 21 chapters. He, they said they can't even begin to describe the things that he did that they saw him do when he was walking the earth. He said there's so many. Go to the next verse. But these are written, why? Back to our scripture again. I'm convinced, I'm determined not to know anything but Christ and him crucified. For God so loved the world. John said, I wrote these things that you might what? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's written. The Son of God. Here's where some faiths might separate and, and attack Christianity. They'll say, well, God had no son. It's one, one God. God had no son. Well, that's not what the book says. The book said that he was the only begotten. That's why that's so important what we read in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He's God. That's where the Trinity comes in. There's so much that plays into this. How many of you believe in the Trinity today? God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Can you explain that? No, you can't. Do you have to believe in it? Yes, you do. Why? Because he said it. They said God had no son. Well, I got news. Go on. That you believing in, and that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye have life through his name. When they're singing up here, good doctrine is praiseworthy. I love to hear songs with good doctrine. And you know what good doctrine is? 
not what the Assemblies of God believe or what the Baptists believe. That's all outgrowth of that. But what good doctrine is, is when we lift up the name of Jesus. Because he said, if I be lifted up, if I be lifted up, if I be lifted up. That's doctrine, folks. And when we come together, we need to lift up the name of Jesus. When problems go on in our lives, we need to lift up the name of Jesus. That's doctrine. So when you come in here, it's not alien to you. It's not foreign to you. You think, that's what I believe, and it connects with us. We need a connection with what we believe, and that's why the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. They didn't believe, they didn't understand, I might say, what was going to happen. He just said, boys, I want you to get about 120 of you, and I want you to go wait somewhere, and I'll send the promise of the Holy Spirit, and you shall be my witnesses. And they thought, well, how's this going to, Peter, you denied him. How are you going to be a witness to him? Thomas, you doubted me. What are we going to do now? He said, go wait. Just go wait. Some of you might be waiting on some things that God told you today. He'll deliver. Just like he did for Thomas, he'll deliver for us. If our needs match his will, you can believe that you're going to have it. Why would the Philippian jailer, Paul said to the Philippian jailer, you shall be saved and your house. I thank God today that all my kids and grandkids have a knowledge and the kids are all saved, the, uh, my boys are saved, but I'm glad that they have a knowledge of Jesus Christ and who he is. That's the best gift I could give them. That believing in his, in his name, through his name, you might be saved. Now go to 1 John, if you would, 1 John chapter 4. Well, what happened is he told them to go wait. In the day of Pentecost, everything changed. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. In other words, he had to go through the suffering before the power of the resurrection because he did what God the Father sent him to do. Look, 1 John 5, I'm sorry, Olivia. 1 John 5, verse 10. Remember our text? And he that believes on the Son of God has what? The witness. You know what? I know that I'm saved. <laughs> and I'm not speaking that out of arrogance. But God took something that was worth nothing and made it into something. That's why he's the creator. And he keeps on recreating. You know why? Because we are made in his image. And they got together up there in heaven and they said, let us make man in our own image. So they came into agreement. You know, when we come into agreement with what God says, our lives will go a lot easier. Well, here's the key. This is John writing here. He says, I have the witness. You have the witness in yourself. There should never be any doubt whether you're saved or not. You should know that you know, as Paul said. That's the importance of, of confessing. If you know something, 
to be a fact, you will confess that fact. I know what my name is. And unless I'm a criminal, I'd just say my name. I don't have an alias. I know my name is Neil Lonnie Nebner. That's my name. It's a fact. I had to believe it because if I didn't, every time I went somewhere, they'd say, what's your name? I'd say, Jeremy Moore. And if they still let me off the hook, then I'd say Jeff Plummer. But see, those aren't facts that you can believe in. There's purpose in a name. I state my name because that's who people know that I am, and it's a fact. When you state the name of Jesus, is that last song that they sung, that's a fact. That's a fact. We don't call him Muhammad. We don't call him Vishnu. Most other faiths have names that are way too long anyhow. I'll just take Jesus Christ, Son of God, Messiah, Chosen One, Promise of the Father. Where are we? So here's, here's our situation. If you believe on the Son of God, you have the witness in yourself. Now, you can go through problems and you can go through sin. But what's the remedy if we sin? John has that. If we sin, we have an advocate or a lawyer like Laurie Gibson. I'm assuming she's a good lawyer. Do you win all your cases? There you go. That's what I wanted to hear. Good answer. Good answer. Who said you were a lawyer? Do you believe you're a lawyer? Why do you believe you're a lawyer? Okay, that's a good reference point. She's a lawyer. You believe that? She has a witness in herself when she stands before that judge that she's a lawyer. And if she doesn't have that witness and she's not prepared, she ain't much of a lawyer, is she? And the judges say, well, are you a lawyer? See, it's a fact that she's a lawyer and she represents people. And it's a fact that my Savior is a propitiation from my sin. And he stands in the dock when I should be in the dock. A dock is like, that's some more British stuff that I can't get into. I have a witness in myself. Do you have that witness today? Let's go on. And he believes that God, uh, uh, he that believeth not, God hath made him a liar. That's pretty strong. That's why judgment must come to those that live and die, because we don't want to make him out as a liar. Because the scripture said, and that's in uh, Romans 3, 4, Let God be true and every other man a liar. So the words that God said are the truth. And he goes on because he believes not the record that God gave his son. How many of you ever traced your family tree back uh, 
than when you came up out of the ocean. Uh-huh. <laughs> What'd you find out? <laughs> Isn't that back to our comical thing about one day the earth's going to flip upside down again? When Darwin came along with all this stuff about us crawling up out of the ocean from a single-celled, that's what he said. Origin of the species and all that highbrow stuff that you're supposed to believe. My stuff's a lot easier to believe than that. And since that time, we've been told everything about what we are except made in the image of God. You see the attack there that, not wisdom, but knowledge See the attack that knowledge is bad doctrine and bad knowledge is always on the attack against the Word of God. So it's real simple to me. It says we must believe the record that God gave his son. So it just wasn't Jesus off doing something on his own. This is the record that God kept in heaven. And because of that, let's read on. Verse 12 or verse 11, that's it. And this is the record, that God has given us, what? Eternal life. And this life is in who? In his Son. Woo. Verse 12. He that hath the Son has life. And he that doesn't have the Son of God has not life. And again, we're back to explaining things. Scientists and humanists want to explain everything. There's got to be a cause and effect and blah, 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 blah. Some things you just have to believe. This is the first thing as human beings that we have to believe because he said, let us make man in our image, in our image. But he didn't say, let's make man out of the image of a, a, a monkey. I read another, another article the other day. He said, why did evolution stop with the apes? They had to blame it on somebody, didn't they? Their whole basis is off track. I mean, every day they come up with something new, and it's all about refuting the word of God and denying who Jesus Christ is. That's why we see an attack on the Christian culture taking place. Because we're threatening their way of life again. That's what this is all about. The, the, the battle is always between God, his son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and the evil that belongs to Satan and his dominion. It's always about territory. And if we look at ourselves as being a prized possession, in other words, the parable said, you are a pearl of great price. And once you found that, that's what matters to you. See, Satan wants that because he wants to throw it before the swine. Think about that. What he did for us on Calvary, he used the symbol of power to say, you think you got power over me? Ah, let me show you. Because on the third day, I'll rise again, according to what prophecy says. And I will come and I will appear to my disciples. And then they'll wait for me because they have been shocked 
by what they've seen. And sometimes we just need a good shock out of God to believe that this is the truth. <clears throat> and he that has, hath not the Son of God has not life. Thank you, Lord. Let's go on just a little bit more. You still with me a little bit? Okay. Propitiation. I need to explain to you what a propitiation is. He's the propitiation for our sins. And that comes out of, well, the propitiation, the word propitiation means the act of gaining or regaining the favor or goodwill of someone or something. So when it says he is the propitiation for our sin, that means by his sacrifice, him using the instruments of cruelty, him using the symbol of pain and power, he became the propitiation. And that's what it says he was gaining or regaining. This is what he did. He gained or regained. So if you don't know him today, you can, he, he, became the propitiation and sacrifice so that you could gain, and if you've strayed, so that you can regain. The act of gaining or regaining the favor or goodwill of someone or something. Well, I know what that someone or something is today. That someone or something is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So no matter what condition, he's got it covered. If you don't know it, gain it. If you're losing it, regain it. Hallelujah. What else do I want to say? Holy Spirit, help me here. Okay, we covered the poles flipping. If that happens, I'll say hi to you on the way around. <laughs> what happens is if the poles flip, then Jeremy ends up driving a bus in Antarctica. They don't give no driver's test down there. Isn't it silly when you think of what man can come up with and believe in and, and ignore our very existence that we are precious to God, that he loves us, for God so loved the world, not that he discovered a skull from 1 million B.C., but God so loved the world that people that are made in his image, if they believe on the name of Jesus, they'll not perish. What happened to all them dinosaurs and Neanderthals? They perish. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm simple. Verse 13. These things have I written. Who wrote them? John. Unto you that believe on the name of who the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. When I got saved, nobody really explained it to me. The only explanation I got when I 
got filled with the Holy Ghost in the churches I was attending is, you'll see after a couple of years, this will all wear off. All wear off. Or one of the old saints will take you aside and say, I've been around a long time, and you'll see, you'll see. I need to keep my eyes on Jesus is what I need to do. I need to know that I believe in his name, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the who? The Son of God. Since we've started down the path of simplicity, you know, when I got saved, I want to complete this thought. When I got saved, it wasn't what people told me or the knowledge. It was, well, it didn't have anything to do with that. It had to do with me finally making him the God of my life and not me the God of my life. Because that's what humanism is all about. It's about putting man as God, as we shared last week in the Tower of Babel, in the temptation in the garden, and man is constantly building monuments to his own glory. I believe this church, this building, I know he doesn't, we can get into that theological thing and everything else, but it's a place of, of people know that this is a place where people come together to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord through broken water lines, through ice on the, through everything you can go through, there's one thing that's more important. Jesus Christ is Lord. And every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Because the glory of God the Father. They're all in agreement about that. So no matter what separates you from other Christians or the way to believe, just believe the one thing. The one thing. Paul said, there's one thing that I do. I leave the past behind, and I go forward. I press toward the mark. Amen. Press toward the mark. That, <coughs> excuse me. Amen. I've got about a hundred more scriptures that have to do with who he is and what he said. And we're going to preach it until he comes back. And they're going to sing it until he comes back. When I first got saved, everything was about me and what he could do for me. But then after I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, all that went away. I realized Man, look what I got a hold of here. <laughs> oh, it's worn off at times, but guess what? They got that old saying, you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which I really don't understand what that means, but probably another British term or something. I don't know. You know, the very word of God came from the British. That's a joke. 
No, it was. The King James Bible came from who, Jeremy? And why was it written? Because he wanted to pull all the different translations together in a language. And to, to us, the these and thous and hithers and tithers seemed like, but that was perfectly, at the time that the Bible was translated and made into the King James, that was the way they talked. And so this is what has been passed on to us. And Paul said, I'm willing to pass on to you what I have received. And so that's what we go by today. Let your faith be in the one that is able to save your soul. That's who he is. For God so loved. Paul said, I see him crucified. That's what I want to know. That's, that's what impels me to go. He attacked a whole culture. Because the Greeks like to debate everything and the Romans like to use power against everything. But isn't that the way of humanism? Debate everything and have power over everything. Make me God. There's only one God, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen.